people even though it probably hasn't been a long time for everyone else out there in internet land no it's been a week for everyone hello everyone welcome back to the waffle press retrospectives i'm your host diego crespo with me today is my co-host macaringo hey how's it going matt it's been a weird week it's been a weird uh time (laughs) time has lost all meaning um, we've, this has been the weirdest, I was just talking, we were talking off mic that this has been the weirdest retrospective to record ever. Cause every time we sit down to record, the world is in like a completely different state than it was previously. Yeah. So we, it, it's been a weird start to 2021, obviously. Um, so we'll we'll see how how the world goes between the next week's recording. But today we're here to talk about Legend of Korra, Book Two, Spirits. Of course, we're talking about Chapter Six, The Sting, Beginnings, Part One and Two, The Guide, and a New Spiritual Age. So last time we ended off with Korra getting eaten by a giant spirit, and now we get a fun little mystery episode, and uh, it's. I, I think this season, like we talked about last time, from what I recall, uh, gets a lot of flack for being a little messy at the beginning. And as it continues, you can see the threads start converging almost. Yeah. And this is, I would say, like the, the first chunk, I think it kind of works perfectly with what we're doing with uh, the first chunk that we did for the season is like a mess. This is the chunk where everything starts coming together. And then I think what we do next time will be everything kind of clicking, finally. Yeah, and, and, you know, it is almost kind of like, I think, intentional and accidentally, like, a meta, like, discussion on the series itself. Like, okay, what kind of show is this? What kind of avatar is Korra going to be? Who is Korra with or without the avatar, you know? Mm -hmm. That's definitely a big part of it. It's It's just a weird shift you know it's just a there's a lot of preamble to that shift coming which was their our previous recording and i think that it almost feels like this this chunk of episodes is from a completely different show than the last chunk of episodes kind of yeah and, and i mean i'm not i'm not like i'm that's not even like a massive like criticism of it it's just odd <laughs> Yeah, and I will say, like, revisiting it, that's part of the fun of this season is watching it all come together. And, mm-hmm. like, it takes swings, you know? Like, again, Chapter 6 is Sting. This episode's, like, just like a mystery bottle episode almost. Like, it plays into, mm-hmm. like, a bigger part of the series, but we get to see Mako in action as, like, a a cop, unfortunately. Which, again, well, yeah, makes but, perfect but sense for him. But Yeah, like, it, it totally works because Mako sucks. Yeah. <laughs> And, and he uh, does a terrible job, by the way. Oh, yeah. No, he's an idiot. Um, but... Marco is a fool. <laughs> uh, but we get to see, like, some fun, like, of the, the gangster characters from around Republic City. Uh, yeah. Like, I think, like, Nine-Toed Ping or something like that. Yeah, it was something. It was... Uh, I should have written it down. Yeah, but there, um... there's, like, some fun characters that kind of had, like, cameos or, like, like uh, little bit parts in the first season and they all kind of get to like shine in this one episode and of course they all betray 
Mako and Asami. Uh, and it's 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 a mess. But this is like where the mess becomes fully intentional, you know? Yes. And even like the emotions get messy because Mako and Asami obviously have that history. And then it's like, uh, mm-hmm. they're both like emotionally vulnerable. So naturally, they're going to make a horrible decision to kind of rekindle their romance and uh, Bolin is a movie star. Yeah, I think this is Mako. This is the definitive Mako sucks episode. Not necessarily because he does the worst in this episode, but because this is Mako stomping through other people's stories, <laughs> being like, I'm the protagonist of life. <laughs> so everything I do is fine and cool. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't work out for him in any way. <laughs> no, it. it... It uh, blows up in his face horribly. Uh, but yeah, uh, Bolin is a, a mover star because Varric oh, yeah. is, is doing um, propaganda films to inspire like a, a collective response to the war efforts in uh, the South Pole, uh, which I think is great. And it's also kind of just like a fun way of like integrating modern, like, like a real life history into like this fictional one, you know, where it's like, yeah, like a lot of older cinema like the popular stuff was like you know propaganda films and stuff getting a lot of mank parallels oh yeah this is better than mank sorry <laughs> <laughs> hey, what if mank showed up mank oh yeah A- avatar mank <laughs> put mako and mank together and there's nothing they can't fuck up oh that would be incredible oh okay <laughs> that's the actual like one thing i would have liked in this series I-, I don't remember if i talked about it already but i'm gonna bring it up again anyways like a black and white like film noir parody starring like mm. Bolin, you know. Like I would have yeah. liked to have seen Bolin do like this mystery kind of thing, but uh, he, he's well, he's got fun stuff here. This whole show, I think, like the main complaint that I'll I will probably come back to over and over again for this whole show is that you kind of wish it had room to stretch, like after the last Airbender had. Um, which it, it, this, this all feels more economical in terms of its storytelling. But at the same time, uh, the fans seem to complain about those episodes. Because <laughs> I was when I was looking up like worst episodes of Avatar Last Airbender list, a lot of them were episodes that were kind of like one-off stories that I liked and didn't really understand the hate they were getting. And I think that this was like trying to be like, all right, we're going to do a show with no filler. And you're, you're kind of watching it being like, I kind of missed the filler. <laughs> you're right. It is more economical. And like the structure, we've talked about this before, but it has been a while. So I just want to bring it up again. The structure is perfect for streaming. Like, yes, you, you yes. could just sit down and watch an entire season. It's like, yeah, that worked. You know, like structurally, mm-hmm. more or less, this is all going to work for a single viewing. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I don't know. There, I think there's a strength to that, too. And I'm I'm glad they didn't do it again. If they were ever to do that third mystical avatar series maybe i'd like to see them find like a balance between the two um but i don't perfectly know perfectly balanced as all things are uh, but like <laughs> I, I i'm glad it, it is different enough you know like it, it is hard yes. to compare them for for a lot of reasons and i i think you had a point about that actually well yeah i, I was gonna try to come back around to it you kept trying to lead me into it and i kept going off on okay other tangents. So, i'm sorry <laughs> no 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 i'm i'm that's me fucking up um because you kept being like yeah you know bolin's making these movies and i was like yeah but i have this opinion on you know <laughs> taft hartley <laughs> 
But yeah, Bolin's starring in these propaganda films. And if you watch what we get to see of the propaganda films, it's a lot... It feels almost like a parody of Avatar The Last Airbender. You know? Where he's going up against a big bad who's just, like, pure evil. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing good about him. And, like, he saves the girl and, like, some good stuff happens. And you see Bolin starting to mistake his on-screen persona for his off-screen persona where he's, like, trying to make it with the co-star who wants absolutely nothing to do with him. (laughs) And I feel like, again, it's the creators kind of, like, putting their foot down and being like, this is not Avatar The Last Airbender. (laughs) (laughs) Stop treating it that way. And this whole season, I think, is all these characters being, like, like, again, trying to... Be like, well, what did Avatar Aang do? And like trying to recreate what that guy did and being like, no, no, that that's not, this is Korra's story. <laughs> it's called The Legend of Korra. We have to figure it out a different way. Because anytime they try to recreate the magic of Avatar Aang, it blows up in their face. Also, a lot of what's happening is the fallout of Avatar Aang's actions. Like, intentionally or not. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, like that that's a very, like, difficult thing i think for people to grasp you know like so many of the complaints because we'll talk about tenzin and ang's kids and family later in, in this recording but like ang's good doesn't mean that he fixed like the world the world is a complicated place even in fiction that's yeah. going to keep evolving and changing and new conflicts are going to come up some as a fallout of actions others as like fallout of actions unrelated to avatar ang and that's that's just how the world works sometimes. It'll never be like this perfect bubble. But I don't mean that to be cynical, you know? Yeah, no, it's interesting that you said Fallout. Because I've been thinking about Fallout New Vegas a lot while watching this. Because that's a whole game where, like, the, the, the factions are all trying to recreate the world in, like, an image of, like, a past society. But those past societies are exactly what led the world of Fallout to be what it is, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, yeah. Which is not good. <laughs> And, you know, even and, in the last episode, um, like, Korra goes to uh, General Iroh for help, and he was like, my grandfather would trust the Avatar's judgment or whatever, you know? And it's like, well, that, that, that doesn't work here. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's a you war know? crime now. <laughs> don't, don't do that. <laughs> I think there's, like, this misunderstanding, and I think it's a very American misunderstanding of what progress is. And I think we don't un- we like I think we a lot of people just assume progress is always inherently good, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, hey, that's not totally the case. We might be in a for a rude awakening as our human progress, which has brought us great things like microwaves and streaming television and antibiotics, uh, might lead to complete global climate collapse. <laughs> Like, the world that lets us all live kind of in in the West, anyway, lets us live in some form of luxury where we're all wage slaves, unfortunately. But uh, it's also what is kind of destroying the world around us right now. (laughs) And I think there's a lot of themes like that in Legend of Korra. (laughs) Yeah, and I, quite frankly, I don't think people were ready for that discussion in the Obama mm. era. Uh, and yeah, again, that's, that's something I think we I... talked about too, but like, I, I think that's really important to the response the show got initially and how like now, for the most part, it is like more acclaimed than ever before. 
Well, think about when you watched this in 2013. Would you believe that within less than a decade, a white supremacist group would storm the Capitol? No. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, the world, you know, it didn't end. Things didn't suddenly end well <laughs> with Obama. Like, progress is inherently messy. And that's just, I mean, eh, whatever. It's like it's one of these things where I could go on like a thousand tangents, and I probably shouldn't. <laughs> but it's like the thing everyone always goes like, "Those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it," and it's like that's that's kind of true. But it's also like history has these cycles that are kind of unavoidable in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And to just assume that you will never make those mistakes again, or that like once you you know if you fucking cut the Gordian knot, like everything's suddenly fine. <laughs> And it's like, no, Alexander the Great, his whole empire fell apart, like, immediately after he died. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, America, we were fucking number one, we were on top of the world, and now it's like we're about to fucking go off the edge. (laughs) And that's happened to about every other empire that's come before us. (laughs) And it's just weird to be alive while it's happening. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But, hey, what are you gonna do? You know, maybe Republic City is is on the edge. Uh, no, there's not really a lot of that in this season, and that's okay. It's trying something else, but like, well, I think there's a lot of like we've they, like after Ang, everyone is stamped down. Like, all right, the world is perfectly safe now that we don't have the Fire Lord to deal with. You know, mm-hmm. like we we no longer there's no longer a horrible war going on. There's no longer a dictatorship. Everything's fine. And now the Avatar comes along, and the whole thing about the Avatar is they're supposed to usher in this new age of change, you know? There's supposed to be a shift that's coming, <laughs> right? They're supposed to help guide the world in that these we know that the world changes because it's always changed. That's life. And the Avatar is supposed to help facilitate that change in a peaceful way and maintain balance. But that's still a messy thing. But you have all these people who have, like, stuck, you know, their flags in the ground. And I think Varric is a very obvious example of this, who's a major industrialist, who's who his entire lifestyle would be threatened by the world changing even slightly. <laughs> Don't and, know how that's relevant now. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got radicals, you know, like the villain of the season, where it's like, they... they it's their hyper acceler he's a hyper accelerationist, you know? <laughs> the people that believe we have to make things worse because it would be better for the world to end now so we can start rebuilding sooner than if it were to re- end later, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's part of like why this season is actually kind of like genius is that yeah. it touches on all these things. Like again, rough start, admittedly, but like you need these different like counterpoints and like, or not even counterpoints, just like these different points of discussion and conflict as the world is about to change. Because this season is mm-hmm. like, you know, it's called spirits, but it leads into the season of change, which is all about like how the the world is, is evolving. Even like as Cora herself is evolving, you know, like, yeah, they're, they're not like connected that intrinsically but they also are connected like that intrinsically it's 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 a weird complicated relationship the show has with 
the characters in the world around them. And I mean that like in nothing but a positive way. Mm-hmm. But to, to narrow the focus a little bit for this episode, The Sting, um, this is like a solid episode. I don't think it's like fantastic, but it sets up a lot more interesting stuff in play. And the moments that like are really good, like are really, really good and like tons of fun. And yeah, we, we see Varric revealed to be like, you know, uh, a villain. He's a villain in, in yeah. the show now. And uh, it's well, I think fun. the funny thing is that like he's like nakedly the villain now where he's like like you know he's like a twirling mustache villain by the end of this episode but once you realize once that's revealed it's like oh no he was the villain the whole time <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> he, he, like even if he wasn't doing this evil shit what he's doing is evil mm-hmm. like if he wasn't pulling the strings in the way they think he is it's still fucked up what he's doing <laughs> yeah and you know again another point of like I don't think this is even controversial, but, like, you know, this is the height of Iron Man's popularity, basically, right? And there was a lot of mm. talk when this character hopped on the show. I remember from the Tumblr days and a little bit on Twitter, even, where they were like, oh, he's like Tony Stark. That's fun and awesome. And then in this episode, it's like, oh, yeah, he is like Tony Stark. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like... It is kind of weird that, like, a lot of people didn't realize that Tony Stark is supposed to, like, suck. <laughs> like... Yeah, um... That's a whole other conversation. We I know it's just, but like, like I, I think that makes the character of Varric even more like fascinating. You know, mm-hmm. we're like, oh yeah, this character in this the biggest franchise in Hollywood is this capitalist futurist like genius and billionaire playboy. He's super fun. Everyone loves him, and it's like it's, well, that's it, this it's kind of know... the point, but not really. Well, that this is the, the the era that this show is replicating is the era of like the first self-made men, you know, mm-hmm. the ones that are like these big industrialists, the Carnegies, like I mean, Citizen Kane, <laughs> kind of like when that comes out, it's like the first movie about that's like an inherently American story about the rise and fall of a businessman, <laughs> which is you know, a, a, I think we underestimate how shockingly new a narrative like that is. Like it's within this century, within the last century, that narrative was developed, and now only now we're all kind of going like, oh, maybe it was bad, even though every piece of media about it has been saying that for years. <laughs> I mean, just think about like Howard Hughes. You know, Howard Hughes, the industrialist, who's like the first kind of that guy. You know. Mm-hmm. He's, he's he's like the proto, if you want to say Tony Stark. He, like Elon Musk is very close to what Howard Hughes was in his day, and at least Howard Hughes actually flew his airplanes, though. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but oh man, wouldn't that be great if Elon Musk started flying his rockets and like he crashed? <laughs> I wasn't gonna like, say it, but <laughs> like, you know that would just be amazing, right? That's unfortunately where it's like now that the narrative is so like like Howard Hughes was Howard Hughes because he had a lot of money and he was also crazy. I mean, I don't I've just in a very broad sense. I just meant very, I mean very driven and also had problems, you know? Mm-hmm. Like he had he had very known problems and had a very difficult life but was also had more wealth than any human being should be allowed to have. And now people just model themselves on like the torture genius even if they aren't really that. <laughs> I mean, Steve Jobs built his 
image of Steve Jobs. The, what we know of Steve Jobs was created by Steve Jobs more than anything else. I just think it's interesting that it took us this long to kind of go like, that's those people are full of shit. Yeah, so I, mean, the- I mean, I mean more collectively because people have been saying it forever now, but like it, it finally feels like now everyone's getting it except for weirdos on Reddit who also almost destroyed the entire stock market like a week ago. <laughs> so weird time to be alive. But hey, my Dogecoin is finally coming through. Yeah. I actually know someone who's like doubled their investment on that. Oh, okay. that was a that was a joke for me, but okay, good for yeah. them, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's so strange. It's so strange. What a it's, fucking what, world. Yeah, I don't even understand anything anymore. <laughs> um, I don't know the reveal for for Varric being the villain. You know, it, it is a little obvious, but like, it it's a he's a hell of a character. You know, so it's like. He's a it's fun engaging. character. Yeah. yeah, it's like he's a he's kind of like the fun villain. Yeah, yeah. He, he's the, the he's an villains. OG Disney villain shoved into this narrative without a musical yeah. dance number. Oh man, he totally should have had one. Oh my god, yeah, it'd be fantastic. Yeah, just 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 edit the Radigan song. <laughs> <laughs> the world's greatest criminal mind. Oh my, is Mako <laughs> the great mouse detective? Yeah, but Mako's not the great anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the Mako detective. What happened to the Greek? Yeah, the... You, you, you <laughs> better get there. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you're just... No, you're just the Mako. <laughs> it's like, um, yep, you're Mako. <laughs> uh, oh, and then you get uh, scummy police detectives that make fun of Mako, and it's like, yeah, kind of on their side, but... <laughs> yeah. I know Mako's but also the they. I'm glad they at least point out that the police do kind of suck. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's the fictional world with the police. So, like, you know, we're going to play this a little looser than if it were reality, obviously. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's good. Also, I have mentioned, like, that we've just gone through, like, a massive shift with how we view the police now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just, like, that. that's, like, one thing I really don't even feel fair to, like, judge the show on just because, like... I, again, like we have comedy shows about cops, like Brooklyn Nine Nine should just make them private detectives. But anyways, I know yes, that's they probably should. But hey, whatever. Hmm. Fuck the police. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to the day when they just break down my front door and just beat the shit out. <laughs> <laughs> Which it's like that's within the decade. That's just gonna start happening. <laughs> Um, but on a lighter note, yeah, solid episode. And we, I mean, do you have anything else to talk about? I just want to talk about the ending. Um, I think I got everything that's other than like Mako sucking. He kiss Asami kisses him, right? Yeah, Asami kisses him, but and Mako's they all stay, confused. They stay hooking up, yeah. as we will yeah, discover. Yeah, but that's like, here's how Mako sucks. He really should have been like, like, that's the moment where it's like, if you're a dumb idiot like Mako. You're like, hey, this girl's into me. And then what you really should do in that moment is you kind of have to, like, end that before it starts. <laughs> you know? Because it's not going to work. He should know that at this point. <laughs> Maka, you can't go back, you fucking moron. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and that's why Mako sucks. Yeah. But we end the episode with an amnesiac Korra who washes ashore on the island of of a fire nation group 
What if this just turned into the long kiss goodnight? Oh, that would have been incredible. <laughs> yeah, like after this, it just goes crazy. Well, who's the uh, um, who's the Samuel L. Jackson character then? Tenzin? It's just it's just Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, okay. He's just on Avatar now. <laughs> oh, he would be a great character on this show. I know, just He'd as be himself. Fantastic. Yeah, Avatar Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, he he would have been a great first Avatar, but uh, no, he. I don't he know. Is... I don't know. If, I don't know if I'd want him as the first, but <laughs> no, no, he he would he would set the bar, you know. He would have just shot everyone. <laughs> <laughs> he would suddenly pull out a gun, even though they don't exist, ten thousand years ago, and just blown everyone the fuck away. So I mean, I guess it would have ended the conflict pretty quickly. <laughs> everyone would unite against him for having guns. If he just pulls out a gun and just shoots Vatu. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, so we discover the origins of the first Avatar in a two-parter called Beginnings. This is basically like, even for people that don't like Korra, I think it's like universal, like everyone loves this pair of episodes. Yeah. It's very Miyazaki-inspired. The The animation style is much more like watercoloring and like... Uh, the images are less crisp, so they look like they look physically older, which is like a really cool trick. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is a high bar for a well, series like full of high bars. Yeah, I just like the idea of this, where it's like this is we're we're gonna learn the story of the first Avatar, but also the style kind of lends to it being like this is a legendary story and not necessarily a one hundred percent factual story. Which I think makes it all the more interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like there's the touchstones of honesty in it, you know, like it's it's a story about good versus evil, and it's like mm-hmm. how mankind plays a role in that narrative, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think more so than um, the last Airbender, which was it, it was there too, but it kind of goes and said uh, this story in particular ties the spirits to be like representative of like nature and and the earth around the characters yeah. more so than anything you know and it's mm-hmm. like how does like how, how does mankind kind of like play a role in like protecting it because they're just trying to survive yeah. it at first and then it's like oh we have power in in these um when they're imbued with like the elements you know it's like oh it's 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 fire first because mankind discovering fire, right? It's like that's like it's, a thing. Yeah, it's like uh, it's another way of the season correlating to like uh, actual human history, which is kind of fun, you know. It's not a one to one comparison, but I I think that must have been so much fun cooking this up in a writers' room somewhere, you know. Um, I, oh, and Avatar One is voiced by Stephen Yun, who Academy I, Award nominated Stephen Yun. Stephen Young is is fantastic. He was still on The Walking Dead at this point, I think, too. Yeah. Which, unfortunately, was still a show that was on. (laughs) It's still on at the time of this recording. This was the year where I was like, I'm all in on Legend of Korra. (laughs) And I will never watch an episode of Walking Dead ever again. (laughs) (laughs) It got me for like another two years, honestly. So, that's on me. Now, once they spent whatever the fuck it's i think it's season three where they spend like the latter half of that season just standing around every episode saying we're going to war (laughs) and then you literally get to that last episode and then there's like two seconds of gunfire and it's over (laughs) and no one gets shot (laughs) 
and nothing happens. And then it ends. I, and then I was like, I'm never watching this again. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like history's vindicated me on that one. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, but no, what do you think about these episodes? Oh, it's great. What the fuck did you expect me to yeah, say? I don't, like, know. I, I don't I mean, know. Am I going to be the one guy being like, actually, my <laughs> big issue with the episode was uh no I, I love this one i like that even in the the ancient times in the avatar universe there's still like class disparity and conflict like there's a family of rich rulers that run this uh the city on the back of a lion turtle mm-hmm. i like that the first avatar is a thief <laughs> i just like that it's like a commoner mm-hmm. type thing yeah yeah which is honestly and i, I like i i even want to punch myself for what i'm about to say <laughs> But that's honestly very similar to the Jesus narrative. <laughs> Where it's like, you know, before before Jesus, it was like, well, a, a godly person is going to be, like, of royal descent or, like, already an important person. And Jesus is, like, the first... I mean, I don't want to be too broad, but he's a very important early religious figure to also start out as a commoner, as a carpenter, you know? Mm-hmm. He, wasn't a, he wasn't a king, in the sense of what everyone thought at the time, but he was just a carpenter. And that's why the Jesus myth is so radical. Um, wish people maybe could uh, understand that a little better instead of what they tend to think Jesus was about. <laughs> you could probably make a good movie out of that story. Yeah, do you remember in Passion of the Christ when Jesus <laughs> invented the coffee table? <laughs> That's a scene in that movie. <laughs> I literally think he invents the coffee table and is like, I think everyone's going to be using these in the future. What a fun that film. Movie. Yeah, fun movie. Take the kids. <laughs> they did, apparently. That was a... Yeah, I know. It, it grossed more than Spider-Man 2. <laughs> That's fucking insane. What a... That's the Bush era. That's the Bush era. Yeah. Where one part of the population understood that this was a holy war a lot sooner than the other half did. <laughs> and uh, maybe we should have recognized that before we agreed to declaring war on any country Bush wanted to. <laughs> maybe understand that that's something called persecution. Speaking of war. <laughs> yeah, hey. It's kind of like a cold war between humanity and the spirits in ancient yeah. times. Uh, which is like, I don't know, I just never thought about like it in that way for this universe it kind of felt like for a while there was like an era of peace and it was like no the world was always complicated and that's okay you know people just struggled to figure it out for a minute there what's that book hold on i gotta look this one up i can't find a good summation of things but i'll try to i'll try to do my best summation of there's this theory which i believe isn't even like an accurate theory but it's an interesting one that because we because one of the big questions in life that we do not have an answer for, which is another problem with fucking society, like in the decade that the show was coming out, that we suddenly seem to think we had the answers to all the important questions, which uh, bugs me in a lot of ways. <laughs> you can only want to make America great again if you believe that we already have all the answers we need. <laughs> um, but. Uh, one of the big things that we don't have an answer for right now, 
which I've heard from like other evolutionary biologists, this will be like the next big one is that we don't really know what consciousness is yet, which is kind of nuts to think about <laughs> that we don't have an answer for that one. Um, but there's one theory is that early consciousness, we kind of couldn't differentiate from like group think, like group consciousness and also what was, you know, in our dreams and what was reality. Like we couldn't, we couldn't separate the two as consciousness was developing. Right. So that's where a lot of our myths come from about, you know, uh, like spirits and stuff like that because they're they're like an early form of the, our consciousness not being able to perceive the world around us, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot of what is kind of being established here. I think it's a lot of like, all right, in this world where it's spirits and humanity living together, it's like this terrifying place where we don't really know what the world is yet. That's an interesting way of looking at that. Well, I always, I, you know, when you, you try to think back to, like, what really, like, when did humanity make that leap? You know, when did we go from being another animal to what humans are now? Mm-hmm. There's also a really interesting book that says it was cooking that helped develop human consciousness. <laughs> that as we started to learn how to cook meat <laughs> and other foods and, like, mixing things together, that's what slowly started developing human consciousness. You know what? I'd, I'd believe that. It's a, it's a, it's fascinating. Um, I wish I remember. I used to read all this shit like years ago, and I it's just like my as time has lost all meaning in quarantine. Like everything is just falling out of my brain, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't understand a lot of it. No, but th- I mean um, that's a, that's a valid point because like look at how like the lion turtle cities kind of like isolate people. It protects them, but it's like they're not connected with anything and they're just like yeah huddled in their corners of the world and uh only through like desperation one is able to like start exploring it mm-hmm. but think of how that shift from you know polytheism to monotheism where like we would just ascribe any natural force was like its own god right mm-hmm. that any natural force was its own thing in like these in the way these spirits are and then as we started to understand the world a little better and started to understand the interconnectivity of things, we started up, like just giving credit to one singular God. And I think you can kind of see that with the rise of the Avatar here, where they don't like necessarily get rid of the like, you know, the uh, polytheistic, um, I think there's a different word, pantheistic nature of all the spirits. Um, but the avatar is kind of put as like this demarcation line of like, but there is an interconnectivity of all things and the avatar bridges the two, mm-hmm. um, which is, fa- it's a fascinating combination of like East and West philosophy. Not, not to like just completely disregard that, but <laughs> how great is it that all the little animals have these weird little designs and there's like a carrot oh, man yeah. and there's like a sushi roll or something in the back and it's terrific. Yeah. Um, I met the voice actor for Invader Zim at Comic-Con like two or three years after this episode aired because Mm. I and many other people online were convinced that the one spirit that ends up befriending Avatar 1 um, was voiced by Invader Zim. You thought it was him? (laughs) Yeah. And uh, apparently 
he gets asked that all the time because oh wow because it just sounds so much like him I mean, it's kind of like uh what's his name the owl spirit it sounds just like jeffrey combs yeah yeah i mean but and it's not jeffrey combs no no it is not <laughs> <laughs> but goddamn, does that fucking owl sound like jeffrey combs yeah. <laughs> um but no this is this is all terrific shit and uh we get the origin for um how the Avatar is able to control multiple elements with uh, Rava, the light spirit. Because he fucks up and separates the two. This is this fucking rules. All of this shit rules. And, oh, the shout out to the music really quick. The, the music is, like, unbelievable oh, by this point in yeah. the series. But just think about it. Like, this is a story where it's like, Rava and Vatu would have continued their battle without interference had Juan not showed up, you know? Like, it would have mm-hmm. just been that, and everything would have stayed the same. But one interfering um, leads to Vatu, like, fucking wreaking havoc and causing all this damage. But then that also leads to the creation of the Avatar, which is a step forward in terms of progress, you know? And as we'll see, it's that doesn't necessarily mean it was a good thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's totally just, like, a perfect, like, fantasy analogy of how mankind... Maybe perfect is a strong word, but, like, of how mankind ended up, like, you know, kind of taking its place, like, as a, kind of the rulers of Earth, in a way. Like, that's, mm-hmm. like, a bold statement, but just hear me out, you know? Like, I mean, we are. I mean, I'm not trying, like, we're, we're, we're so good at it, we might kill ourselves. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, like, you get what I'm saying, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, th- when humanity started staking their claim over the globe as a whole, it's like... You know, the the world went through, like, an adjustment period. Like, nature's still going through it, and now it's no longer well, it's, really an adjustment, and now we're just kind of endangering everything. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like, it's, again, how do you judge, pro- like, how do you judge success or progress? Because if you judge success based on time, the dinosaurs got us beat, you know? The dinosaurs lasted a lot longer. But if you judge success and progress based on landing on the moon... <laughs> You know, think of how quickly we did that compared to how long the dinosaurs were fucking around. You know? Now, and look, not the point of your comment, but how incredible would it be if there's, like, another, like, alternate universe where the dinosaurs went through, like, the stages of evolution that we did? Hey, you know, that'd be fucking great. A fucking T-Rex uh, on the moon. Yeah. That would have been amazing if Neil Armstrong got there and found a skeleton. Oh, like, that's that's the movie (laughs) (laughs) but uh no but i'm just saying like you know but also again the 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 flip side of that is that humanity might destroy itself (laughs) like is what again that's why we're at such a weird point in human history where it's like that we're about to make that decision (laughs) jesus are we as a collective species are we going to survive what's coming or are we going to go extinct and then is whatever is next going to come you know mm-hmm. and will whatever and, and think about you know dinosaurs they did not build cities or civilizations they just kind of fucked around and will that be what's next after humanity um i guess those are the questions to ask but also it's like the the, the real test would be like what makes humanity such a strong, you know, super organism? I think whenever you talk about like humanity's greatness, everyone, some people think they're talking about like 
individual greatness, which I don't necessarily believe, <laughs> but as like a as a a super organism where we work via cooperation, um, we could in we could experience a catastrophe the level the dinosaurs experienced, but we also have the ability to plan and learn how to survive it out. You know, mm-hmm. which is that's kind of what's interesting about humanity but again like is that the right is that what should happen like these are big interesting questions <laughs> and maybe legend of Korra was not the show to tackle those questions but um i'm glad we're at least talking about it now <laughs> yeah and you know it this conversation didn't spring out of nowhere like threads of this are in this series and in particular this story you know yeah uh just like the second half ends up being a little bit more about, like, setting up the, the narrative for the remainder of the season. Like, oh, this is what's like, the real story is for the season. Um, mm-hmm. But it doesn't lose sight of, like, finishing its own narrative. Like, with Avatar 1, and we we uh, come to learn terms like harmonic convergence. Yes. And uh, that the, the evil spirit, the opposite of Rava, the light spirit, is Vatu, the spirit of darkness. And, um... All this shit just just makes me so like happy because it's also extremely nerdy and uh, but it's it's also very beautiful and exciting and you, you get to see that uh, even as Juan is going around trying to bring balance to between the spirits and humanity, it's like oh the spirits are getting enraged to a point of like uncontrollable degree by Vatu, and uh, oh everyone he ever knew is now killed. Yeah, that's a pretty dark fucking scene for a kid's show. Yeah. They all just die. <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, it's implied that it was not nice. It was not easy. No, it was not good. All the spirits turn into horrible monsters. And then for that one second, that one spirit, uh, like when he turns back normal for like a split second, he's like, what's happening? And it's like, oh, this, yeah. is, this is really fucked up. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like a pleasant series of events and then you get like this epic showdown in the spirit realm where uh Juan is able to combine with Rava the light spirit and that's like the origin of how the avatar were able to control like this power and fully become the bridge between humanity and the spirit world by literally like connecting with the bridge mm-hmm. of light and stuff and all this shit's great like we, we can kind of just talk that's... about how great it is but if you've seen yeah, it we'll you just... know it's fucking great Hey, did they mention how many lion turtles there were? Uh, I believe no. they say there's something like dozens of lion turtles, which is a very interesting thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So it, it does kind of muddy up like the origins of how the, the people got the elements. But honestly, I, I, it's not a big stickler for me, you know? No, I like that there's like unanswered things. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say one thing I did, like, just to be a little nerdy about it. I they, I believe they say there are dozens of lion turtles, which is interesting. Um, I believe Vatu says, um, I lived 10,000 lifetimes before the first of yours crawled out of the mud or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of, like, I just, I, I maybe a misjudgment, but I took that to assume that means that he's lived through... 10,000 harmonic convergences. And that would mean, so 10,000 times uh, 10,000. 10, <laughs> yeah. It's a big you know, number. A big number. 
Um, you know what? I think I might have done my math wrong, so I'm going to double check. Yeah, I know. I was like, let me pull up the calculator because I'm awful yeah. at math. I know. Like, I Here's the thing. Let me check because I'm probably... This is one thing I think technology has fucked me up. Yeah, I was right. So it's 100 million. Yeah. So I, I knew I was right. I was right. But now I don't trust any of my math unless I check it with a machine. <laughs> That's a bit of an issue. <laughs> Progress. Again. <laughs> yes. So now it just takes me longer to do math. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, he's lived so for just, 100 million years then. That's how long this, so this I, world has existed. Well, it's, it's interesting because the Earth is like a few billion years. Mm-hmm. So also we see that harmonic convergence there are eight planets in their solar system and the third and seventh have rings which is uh, believe it or not not like our solar system. Um I don't know it's just once once you start like getting into that where it's like all right so space exists in the avatar universe it it raises a lot of questions. Not that I need answers. I just find it, like, fun to think about. Yeah, yeah, you know? And, like, we, we talked about, like, what they could do if they had sequel series to this, right? And it's like, you, you want them to go to space at some point? It's like, yeah, why not? Why can't there be, like, alien species along with spirit stuff? Are there alien spirit stuff? Is that all intrinsically connected, to through the spirit world, you know? Yeah, I'd like to see him go to space, but I'm also worried I'll verge on, like, like doing, like, like pulling a Medichlorians or something. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> to me, it's just like, well, then the, then it be, does become kind of Star Warsy, like just straight up yeah, Star yeah. Wars. But like, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't hate it if it's like the same team behind it. But no, not to get too sidetracked on this show, that never happens. But like, also, uh, I just gotta say that uh, fucking one of the most dire moments, in my opinion, in Avatar is Juan and Rava. Like, they finally combine forces, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you're the Avatar. And he's like, all right, it'll be my job. And together, as the Avatar, we will work towards peace, right? Mm-hmm. Hard cut <laughs> to just a fucking war-ravaged battlefield. <laughs> and Juan's fucking dead. Well, he's dying. He's dying, but yeah. He's dying. Not but a like, And then it's like, well, now, you know, you'll come back again and again. And we'll keep, we'll keep fighting the good fight. But it's still, like, a moment of, like, yeah, we're going to do this, but that doesn't mean we're going to win. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I was like, in fact, we're probably going to lose. <laughs> like, it, it is, that's little, it is the, heavy. That's been the cycle. <laughs> is that there's a new Avatar born, and his job is to create peace, and then, like, he'll maybe create peace for a little bit, and then there will be a fucking war. <laughs> and then life has been on this, like like, circling nature, you know? Forever, and they've never fully achieved peace. Like maybe, I mean, it's not perfect, but I don't know. I think that's that's like a beautiful moment where it's like, yeah, it, it is very heavy, and there's a, there's a real harshness to that fade too, you know. <laughs> um, mm. but the, just the idea that like, okay, like this didn't work, but who's to say that it never will? Who's to say that? their life was any less important because it ended up not being the future that they saw, you know? Yes. Like, I I, I think that's such a fantastic way to, to close this out. I think it's just, it's like a spiritual moment where just like, it's one of those things where you just get some perspective mm-hmm. on life and it lets you think a little bit about things. Yeah. 
And then... Will the circle, will the circle be unbroken yeah. is the question. And then we cut back to Korra, who's being healed or attempted to have been healed by uh, a group of fire healers, which is like a new thing we haven't seen before. And goes to show another like use for like an element that we were first introduced to as something dangerous and like uncontrollable you know it's like no everything has like a, a positive and negative impact like if it's like a natural thing you know yeah um trust me i know how fire can be used to heal when you're getting infectious infectious skin burned off your body <laughs> anyways it's tons of tons of fun Thanks, fire. <laughs> <laughs> when when Cora comes out of her little spiritual coma, uh, they ask her if she knows who she is, and she says, "My name is Cora. I'm the Avatar." It's the first time she's introduced herself as Cora first and the Avatar second, which I just think yeah. is a really great moment. And it's uh, a good touch to end things on. Yeah, and then she's got to go it's, off it's, and stop it's harmonic so convergence. Weird. Uh, like the whole legend of Korra is Korra coming to terms with the fact that it's the legend of Korra, <laughs> yeah. you know, that it is not Avatar: The Last Air- Airbender. It is the legend of Korra. Mm-hmm. In a weird way, James Cameron helped by making sure this wasn't titled Avatar: The Legend of Korra. <laughs> Thank you, James Cameron. Thanks, James. I don't think anyone's ever told him that, and that's. <laughs> I don't think. I think if you tried to be like, "Hey, do you know this other Avatar thing?" You can just go fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and uh, it's also important to note that Avatar 1 was the one that separated the human world and the spirit world so both could leave, live in peace uh, separated, which is an important note that I'm sure will come back to play at some point. Good call, Juan. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> you know, to talk about that progress conversation again, it's like, I bet at the time that seemed like the best <laughs> answer. <laughs> And there's, a, there's so much in history that you could just go, well, at the time, that seemed like the right thing to do. <laughs> and you know, how, how often do you have, like, a series or a franchise that has, like, a continuing story that takes a time to question itself to this degree, you know? Where it's like, hmm, maybe that, maybe this didn't work out the way we wanted it to. Yeah, maybe how can we try to that. make it better now? Uh, mm-hmm. But Cora. To, to try and make things better, goes to Tenzin for help. And uh, this is the first time they'll have seen each other since the first episode of the season. And I like that we got this little break, even though, again, like, not not the best note to start on. But, um, I don't know. It, make, it makes sense that she'd go to Tenzin, and Tenzin just can't help her because for, for all he his does. training over the years, he's not really able to connect with the spirit world. Mm-hmm. I thought that was... Uh, a fun twist he does and get, things. He does get the funniest line probably of the season when they when they meet each other. <laughs> Wait, I don't remember. When Cora shows up, she explains everything that happened. Like the convoluted series of events that led to the moment right now. Mm-hmm. And just after, he, like, just after a beat, he just goes, I knew this would happen. <laughs> <laughs> I Which is very funny, that. but it's also 100% what Tenzin would say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, like, again, this season's not giving the characters easy resolutions to, to their conflicts like this, you know? And it's like, well, it, yeah, makes it, sense. it makes Yeah, like, again, I think that it makes sense that I, a big thing about this season is, like, the dulling connection between the spirit realm 
and the human realm, you know? Mm-hmm. That, like, for all the good that Avatar Aang did, that was, like, the one thing he wasn't able to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, probably because the world was really fucked up when he took over. <laughs> so, like, sometimes someone inherits the world. It's not necessarily the best, but should should try their best to make it better. And by make it better, I mean not go back to the way things were before it got bad. <laughs> yeah, that would be stupid, and I can't imagine anyone would want to do that. Incredibly stupid. <laughs> um, but Korra is able to be helped to the spirit world by Jinora, who's been playing with spirits casually over the course of the season. And, yes. um, you know, at first, Tenzin's, like, frustrated because it's like... You know, what What was his life leading up to, if not for this? You know, he's like, I've been training my whole life for this. Like, this is what I was born to do. And it's like, no, not really, dude. But doesn't mean you did a bad job, because, like, without him, there wouldn't even be a Janora. You know? <laughs> like, there's, like, a, there's like a, a heroism in just being, like, a good teacher and a good father, you know? I think it's hysterical how similar Tenzin and Korra really are. Yeah. <laughs> they both have gifted child syndrome, you know, uh-huh. where, where they're both like, you're gifted. You're going to everything you're, you're like from a young age, like you got the fucking gift kid. You're going to do great. And then the moment, because they've been told that their whole life, the moment they run into any adversity, they're like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah. <laughs> it's just hysterical that they're always like at each other's throats when it's like they're the exact same person, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is uh, very, very funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we also go to uh, uh, back to Republic City to catch up with Mako and Asami, who are an item yeah. again. <laughs> oh, Mako! Oh, you idiot! Mako, um, you fuck! And then Mako oh. naturally is framed by Varric and uh, arrested by the police force that he works for. Yeah, good job, buddy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just, like, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, maybe don't tell the guy that you're after that you're going after him. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so... Like, dude, this dude would, like, unironically love, like, all those trashy 80s action movies, you know? Yeah. But then he would try to model himself after... Oh, my God! I know who Mako is. Mako Who? is Mark Wahlberg's character from The Other Guys. Hey. <laughs> Just pretend it's not Mark Wahlberg. Pretend it's Mako now, and that becomes like a perfect film. I, I remember nothing from The Other Guys. Oh my god, it, I it's remember, so good. I, know, I remember liking it. I remember them jumping off the roof, and I remember the one guy chasing their car down, trying to get him to fuck his wife or something. I remember that scene. <laughs> Look, that movie has the greatest background gag in the history of the world when you go to Mark Wahlberg's apartment and he Mm -hmm. has a poster for the Stallone film Cobra in his living room. That tells you everything you need to know about that character. The other thing I remember about that movie is that, like, it takes time to stop and explain what a Ponzi scheme is. Yeah. And it Uh, also, like, explains the financial crisis. (laughs) And then, like the like, literally, like a movie or two later, he makes the big short. Yeah, I think it was his follow up. Oh no, no, he did yeah. Anchorman too. Excuse me, and then yeah. the big short. So yeah, thanks, Adam big... McKay. Yeah, I'm the one guy that defends Vice. I still haven't seen it, but I like his other stuff. So 
I probably will just end up like. I think you'll like Vice. All right. Great double feature with Oliver Stone's JFK. <laughs> Final. That that'll be my that'll be my thing. Yep. All right. Good way to experience what Coke must be like. <laughs> um. Oh, and, and another note to touch on this episode. This is kind of a like a putting the pieces in place episode, but it's all like compelling stuff, so I don't really care. Uh, but Unalak goes to the uh, the North Pole because that's the the spirit portal he's trying to open, and uh, he we see him finally report to Vatu like all the pieces are now on the table. Everything just kind of needs to to climax at this point. You yeah. Know? And it's a lot happening, and quite frankly, it's amazing that the back half of the season isn't a mess. I know. <laughs> because it feels like almost each one of these like plot lines could sustain its own season of television if yeah. you wanted it to. But they don't. They just do this one, and that's probably oh, yeah. for the best. And yeah, it's one of those things where like, as the season goes on, it all starts working a lot more. Mm-hmm. As opposed to sitting down and watching it, yeah, like one week at a time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's like they they tried forcing these pieces together, and then by the end they're like, oh no, they do fit together. We just needed to kind of ease yeah. them into it more. And, but uh, the last episode we're here to talk about, unless you have anything to add for the guide, it was just kind of a. I, I wrote Tenzin in the spirit realm, and then I wrote he's never done it with an exclamation point at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, he has. He has four kids. hey Hey! He says, it's my greatest disappointment as an airbender, a spiritual leader, and son of Avatar Aang. <laughs> Which is, uh, hey, Tenzin, buddy. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think that was all I had. He's got, he's got a chip on his shoulder. A big one. <laughs> yeah, he's got... He's got... Look, that was probably a difficult childhood. <laughs> So those things like you wouldn't want Luke Skywalker to be your dad. Like, yeah, yeah. So like cause honestly, because you're going to have to hear him tell the story about blowing up the Death Star about a thousand fucking times. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of glad they didn't have him be a father in the sequel trilogy yeah. too. Or was he? To. Oh, oh no! Don't put that in the air because then some fucking like oh this is going to be the sequel television series about luke skywalker's secret child or some shit it's the skywalker saga diego or as or as i like to call it marketing (laughs) you know but for all marketing purposes it's not a bad idea to have like okay this is the trilogy of trilogies of skywalker stuff now we can do whatever but they just keep fucking going back (laughs) so yeah Although it's a little weird to be like, yep, this is the Skywalker saga. This is the story of Skywalker. And now Rey is a Skywalker, so she can carry on the legacy of the Skywalkers. What about Kylo Ren? Ah, fuck him. He fell down a hole. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, wouldn't it be cool to see Kylo Ren, like, go on, like, his own journey where for redemption or something like that? Like, it's a smaller scale story, but he's trying to redeem himself and he's got to learn lessons. And it's like, no, he fell down a hole. <laughs> But don't you remember his touching final word? <laughs> Say like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> it was all building to that moment. What an awful film. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just like, it's just, it's so weird. Chapter 10, A New Spiritual Age. 
uh, Jinora and Korra go into the spirit world together. And it's exciting and colorful and lively. And was the spirit world ever this colorful in, in uh, Last Airbender? Um, it was hmm. mostly like swamps and stuff, right? Yeah, I think maybe that was because the world was in a very rough place at the time. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. That, not, not a criticism or anything. Just yeah. um, that's, inter- that's interesting to compare it to. It's like... Well, yeah, things they, are better separated right now, but now we're seeing that that's not sustainable because at some point they will collide again. Well, it's also like, they, don't they establish that like the spirit will kind of bends around Korra a little bit? Like, yeah, it's, it's almost like representative of like not just the Avatar, but I, I would say like emotional states. Like mm-hmm. it is a very like force type thing where it's like, oh, it's like the energy around you kind of changes and the spirit world is a lot like having ulcerative colitis in that it functions fine until you eat a hot dog (laughs) (laughs) sure what is the hot dog of this episode um it's cora she shouldn't be eating hot dogs (laughs) (laughs) gotta learn you you gotta meet with a dietitian they'll put you on a plan (laughs) and and it's a lot of trial and error too so don't be upset if you eat one hot dog and it hurts you just know not to eat another hot dog Jinora and Korra end up being separated right and Korra turns into a little baby again she returns to her childhood self yeah I'm looking at the the Wikipedia entry because uh, surprise Iroh also makes uh, a reappearance here and it says she is rescued by Iroh, who has, quote, retired, end quote, into the spirit world. He's dead. He died. It happens. Yeah. You know, like, that's that's what happened. I believe that, like, it doesn't matter, but I believe uh, Avatar Laura established that he didn't, like, re- like, he really just left and went to the spirit realm at the end. Oh, okay, like, okay. Like, he was just like, all right, peace out. <laughs> just left. <laughs> You know, hey, whatever. Yeah. If Yoda can do it, Uncle Iroh can. <laughs> <laughs> he is kind of the Yoda. Nah, he did a much better job than Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he learned much quicker than Yoda did about what was wrong, you know. Yeah. And yeah, Yoda's Yoda like 900, and he's like, hmm, war crimes yeah. I've done. This guy who keeps asking for more power might be a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like that'd be an interesting conversation to listen to. To Iroh and Yoda talking about life. Yeah. It depends on which Yoda. <laughs> Remember when Yoda showed up and was goofy in The Last Jedi and everyone was like, that's not Yoda. Oh, yeah. Because it's not like that's how he was introduced in Empire Strikes Back and how he's a silly puppet. He's a puppet. <laughs> it's like, hey, Yoda's not real. <laughs> <laughs> He can be whatever the fuck they say he is. <laughs> uh, but what is real is the reappearance of Wan Shi Tong's library. Yes. Yeah, not Jeffrey Combs returns. <laughs> and we get also the reappearance of the corpse of the professor from Bossing Say. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he didn't regret his decision. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but we we don't need to we don't need to focus on that part. How come, how come fucking uh, how the fuck can Iroh join the spirit world, but that guy's a corpse? <laughs> it's it's a little loose. 
how that was decided, I guess. They're playing fast and loose with the mythology to suit their needs, whatever. Like you said, none of it's real. Yeah. It works. And um, also in a reflection of how the spirit realm has kind of like dulled in the time since mm-hmm. uh, Avatar Aang. He thinks a radio has a little man inside of it. <laughs> That's Which pretty I great. Saw, I watched that clip on YouTube and there were a lot of fans complaining about that in the comments. Which I totally didn't understand because it it made perfect sense to me, you know. Yeah, it's like he's... yeah, like this is this is what's happened in the time being. Yeah, he left the world. He's, yeah. he's in the the spirit realm. Like these fucking people. Mm-hmm. Those are the same fucking people that are like, um, well, Korra's a little hot headed, as if that wasn't like intentional, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like Korra keeps making mistakes. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fucking people. Media literacy in this country is just yeah. like horrendous. And again, that's a that's not just on individuals. There's a whole like failure of an ecosystem, basically. Yeah. Well, we don't. Like, <laughs> but goddamn, like, it sucks. We don't take art at all seriously. Yeah. Now let's we get like back to talking about this children's yeah. cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really like Cora's conversation with Iroh. A part of me does wish that he hadn't come back but i i don't really have like a counter like a, like a full reason for that i just like cora having to discover stuff about herself mm-hmm. and maybe maybe this is too harsh but like i feel like iroh is just kind of there to like for for audiences that know him you know i don't know i think iroh's just working overtime because he's got to make up for the fact that he was a war criminal <laughs> oh okay that makes sense yeah you know he's got he's gonna have to help the next seventeen avatars. <laughs> no, no, no. Here's what happened. Then he saw Korra talking to his great grandson about committing a war crime to help the South Pole. Oh, yeah, he's like, mm. he like, whoa, Fuck whoa, that. Put, putting a stop to that right here. I'm putting my tea kettle down, you know. And I do like that they still have him drinking his his favorite tea. Remember that stuff. one episode of. Last Airbender, where he was like a creepy old man. <laughs> yeah, but we don't talk about that, and that writer is no longer here. So yeah, that's just very funny to think about. <laughs> yeah, it's just like the one time. Yeah, although he was always trying to get uh, Zuko to like hook up with someone. Yeah, he was like, "Oh, she's a very pretty girl." I'm surprised if he brought Cora there and wasn't just trying to hook up his grandson, who also seems to take his job a little too seriously. Oh, and uh, Avatu is sealed within that that giant tree, the tree from, of time, uh, the tree of time. And uh, I, I like that design a lot. I initially thought when uh, revisiting this the trailer, I remember thinking that like, "Oh, this is um, uh." uh Co the face dealer's tree because it looks very similar, mm-hmm. and no, it's not. It, it's it's just similar. <laughs> That's it. He doesn't come I back, st- does he? No, Co the face dealer never returns. And I part of me, guy. <laughs> no, that's a that's a great like monster villain. Yeah, but he's a jerk. <laughs> he well, that, yeah, he stole that poor woman's face. That was wrong. Yes, it was. Yeah, fuck him. I don't I don't want him around. No, he's just a little creepy. I'm maybe having a like, party, and I'm inviting everyone except him. You know, maybe after they ended the first book with murder-suicide, they were like, we should probably cut back a little bit on the 
the evil factor on this show. Yeah, let's just have, like, two factions both kill each other in a war. <laughs> okay, fair point. Anyways, Korra has to sort of find herself in the spirit world to help discover who she really is, and so she has to take this little this little spirit bird up up this giant mountain with scary spirits, and we see that, like, her calm rationale... She's capable of, like, empathy. She's capable of solving problems without being, like, fist-firsts questions later. And, you know, that's desperately needed for a character like Korra, who, again, tried to do war crimes five episodes ago. Yeah, you know, thank God she didn't talk to Kiyoshi. I, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I fucking killed that guy. What? <laughs> Kill them all, Korra. Uh, and then, unfortunately, we discover that Wan Chitong is uh, working with Unalak because she's like, oh, this guy's helped the spirits. That's yeah. good. And it's like... Yeah, there's like there's like strings attached to that, bro. Yeah. Um, and so Janora, we end the episode with Janora being uh, taken away by the spirits working for Unalak, and Korra is unable to rescue her. And, well, he also uh, he he forces Korra to open up uh, the other portal. Oh yeah, so it can uh, release Vatu on the the moment of harmonic convergence. And Vatu's like, I'm evil. <laughs> yeah 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 um the villains are a little uh they they have complex themes revolving around them mm-hmm. they themselves are not that complex and they, they don't really need to be but um yeah he's literally like every episode <laughs> it is a little silly um but what's not silly is the way this episode ends when Korra's like shook back to the human world and Janora is not and Tenzin's like, what happened to my little girl? And it's just the most scary, depressing thought a parent could probably ever have. Yeah, yeah, I'm always terrified of the thought that my children might get trapped in the spirit realm. Yeah, it's, it's it a very me. common uh, issue in, in America at the moment. One in 75 children will become trapped in the spirit realm in their lifetime. <laughs> Do you know where your children are? <laughs> You wouldn't download a spirit realm. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck those commercials, because I absolutely would download a car if I oh, could. Oh, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, these are some kind of like table-setting episodes. But in, in between them, there, there's all these really great moments for Korra and and her friends kind of coming to terms with who they are. Yeah, I do like that Like Korra has this big mo- moment with Iroh where she's like, all right, yeah, I'm Korra, I'm coming to terms with shit. And then it ends with, Cora, what the fuck did you do to my daughter? Yeah. <laughs> Cora just can't catch a break, man. No. Yeah, and it's like, you know, there, there was so much, like, admittedly bad faith criticism, but, like, criticism about Cora's character. And it's like, how could you hate her? Like, how do you just not feel bad at a certain point? Yeah. I don't know. People are jerks. People suck. Yeah. So that was a, that was a handful of five episodes. For book two, Spirits, Legend of Korra, we're going to end book two with the final four episodes, Night of a Thousand Stars, Harmonic Convergence, Darkness Falls, and Light in the Dark. Yeah. uh, There's going to be a lot to talk about there. Spoiler alert for those that haven't seen it yet. So I hope you keep tuning in. I hope you keep watching it. Matt, do you have any final thoughts on anything we talked about today? No. Okay. That was (laughs) fascinating. Thank you, Matt. I think I've already, I think I've said enough. I was talking about, like, human consciousness and shit like that. I think <laughs> you tried to get me to talk about the Cold War, and I didn't. So. 
that that'll come up eventually. Yeah, will I'm actually. sure. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Stay tuned, everyone. Matt, where can the people find you? I'm at EmperorOTN1 at Twitter.com, and I'm at EmperorOTN on Twitch. And I'll try Yay! to fairly regularly at this point. Woo! And I have not caught any of it, so I apologize. Yeah, I'm the Dino Crisis right now. Oh, should I play that? Um, I'm having fun. I'm actually really enjoying Dino Crisis. Okay. So You can get it for like $5 through the PlayStation Store, or you can do what I did. And spent $60 for it on the original PlayStation. <laughs> All right, $60 it is. I'm smart with money. And, of course, you can find me at the Diego Crespo. Check out the Waffle Press on Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Patreon. Where you can get early access to the rest of Book 2. Maybe oh. a little bit of Book 3 at this point, depending on how much we've recorded. It's been a weird year. It'll be a weird schedule. But thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks for watching. We have been Professionally Unprofessional. 